Welcome to the Business of Nonprofits podcast, where we enable candid discussions of nonprofit business transformation. I'm your host, Stacey Lund. Let's get started. Powered by TGR Management Consulting. Hello. You're listening to the Business of Nonprofits. With me today is Rhiannon Men, founder and CEO of Lasagna Love. Rhiannon, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Stacey, for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. Why don't you take a few minutes, introduce yourself and your role at Lasagna Love, and then take us back to the beginning of the pandemic for you. You have such an interesting foundational Lasagna Love story. So walk us through that. I'm Rhiannon. I'm accidental founder of Lasagna Love is what I like to call myself. Um, I also happen to be the mother to three lovely children under five. So it's chaos in all aspects of my life. But uh, if I think back to the beginning of the pandemic, um, so my my daughter was my oldest was then three. I had a one-year-old and we were living in San Diego at the time. And it's funny to think back because it feels like eons ago, but I remember everything in California just shut down. And I was looking for something I could do because I felt very helpless. You know, my neighbors are, you know, some of them are stuck at home. Some of them are older, can't go out. We're all wondering, is it safe to go to the grocery store? How are we going to put food on the table? How are we going to figure out our lives? And how long is this going to last? My happy place, uh, like for many people, is cooking. I looked at my husband and I said, I'm going to start making meals and giving them to people who need them. And you tell me when our grocery budget runs out. And I started cooking and then delivering to families that I found through, actually through Facebook groups, um, mostly mom's groups. And I would just post saying, if you're struggling, it doesn't matter what that looks like. Let me bring you a meal. I'll drop it off at your door, contactless, so everybody feels safe. Um, and it gave my three-year-old a wonderful thing to keep her busy. Um, my one-year-old ate a lot of shredded cheese. And it just really grew from there. And I was expecting it. But I got messages from people saying, hey, I saw your post, but I don't need a meal. But are there enough families to go around? I'd really love to cook. And I started setting up, okay, sure, you know, here I'll assign you some families and you some families. And we went from just me to 10 volunteers in the San Diego area to 100 to people contacting me from out of state. And it just, it completely went viral, I think, as a testament to, I wasn't the only one feeling that helplessness, that there were a lot of people who really wanted to find some way to, to support their community that felt meaningful and that felt safe and making meals for neighbors. It was the way for them and for me to do that. I'm I'm sort of misty eyed over here. So I I actually did prep with a tissue because I knew I would get this way. Uh, That is so powerful. But you don't talk about this like a food movement. You talk about this as a kindness movement. I do. And, you know, Stacey, you've delivered lasagna. So you've you've probably felt this yourself. But there's something about delivering a meal. It puts sustenance on the table for sure. But there's something about that interaction and that surprise on the receiving end that somebody, a, a complete stranger would do this for you. And I've heard it over and over. I think that the kindness piece of what we do is really the most impactful. You know, yes, a meal for one night might help if you're facing food insecurity. Most of our recipients aren't. Most of our recipients are requesting for other reasons. Some of them may have lost a family member or be uh, recovering from surgery or just a parent feeling overwhelmed at everything going on in their life. So I, I agree, I would call it, I would call it a kindness movement more than a food movement. And then you also, you have kind of an interesting background. You're, you're kind of the triple threat, right? So it wasn't just about good cooking and it wasn't just about kindness and you're not just a great mom, but you have a business background as well that you applied to this. Talk a little bit about that too. I do. Sure. You know, I've done everything. I've worked on political campaigns. I've worked in startups. I worked in nonprofit and for-profit consulting. I went to business school. And so 
none of those things really seemed to fit or have a pattern, but I truly believe they were all preparing me for this moment because lasagna love calls on every single one of those experiences in, in a very unique way. I came to lasagna love in a very different way than maybe somebody who wants to start a nonprofit um, and doesn't have that business background, but really has the heart for it. And I think when, when I meshed that heart and that passion, that genuine passion with understanding, you know, what does it mean to run a business? What does it mean to look at P&L? What does it mean to be financially sustainable? What does it mean to build systems? What does it mean to scale? Um, and how do we use the tools from the, the for-profit sector to really make that happen in, a, in an efficient and effective way? I think that's part of why we were able to scale at such, such a rapid rate and to be able to sustain that over you know a long period of time, even, even post-COVID. So I'm going to push you a little bit to talk about scale because I don't think our listeners really have a grasp, right? When we talk about the beginning of the pandemic, there was you. <laughs> and and then and then there were a few, right? A few. And then there were 10. Yeah. Right. There were a few lucky people in San Diego. And then talk a little bit about where we are now as a group. Sure. Now we have over 37,000 volunteers who have made and delivered lasagna at some point. So about, uh, you know, half of those or so are active at any given time. Um, but we have closing in on 40,000 people who have participated in this kindness movement, which I can't even say that out loud without it just it's bananas to me. So when you, you talk about scale, like this is, you know, nonprofits, at least in my experience, don't scale at this rate, right? So we went from 10 to 100 in a couple of months, then uh, from 500 to 5,000 in the period of four weeks. So, you know, being able being able to scale. I think there's a lot of things that we did, lessons that we've leveraged that we were that really enabled us to reach that kind of growth in a sustainable way. And I'm happy to talk about those. <laughs> yeah, talk about any one of them because uh, it is bonkers to think, you know, you you breathe into a bag, you you're nervous, you go on the Today Show, and the next day, right, within four weeks, almost literally, it's quadruple like you you're an insane how do you do that right yeah how do you do that and how do you how do you not lose sleep more so than you already are like walk through a, a, pick a challenge so very very early on I was trying to build systems and it wasn't necessarily with the intention of scaling it was the intention of making my life easier right but you know in the intention of if this is going to continue to grow the way it's growing we need to have things in place that will enable that demand I think a lot of organizations don't you know, they don't, they don't think about having too much demand. They think about how do they, you know, how do they get more sales? How do they get more people in the door? We didn't have that problem. We had more people than we knew what to do with and we And we had to be ready for that. We were building systems from the very beginning of how do we make it easier to match recipients and volunteers? How do we track, you know, the best ways to reach out to families and to find the families in need? Um, how do we build systems for our volunteers to manage their deliveries? Um, how do we manage scheduling? All of that. And we were constantly, constantly thinking about, and every time somebody said, oh, like, what about this? You know, instead of just answering that one question, we tried to build a system around it. You know, what if someone changes the address at the last minute? Or what if someone has an allergy? Like, okay, how do we actually handle this in a systemic way? And it freed up my time instead of sort of always troubleshooting these one-off things. I was able to build systems that ran the program from day one. And yes, they changed and yes, they had to scale. And we knew that, you know, we got a call to be on the Today Show. And I think we just had a couple of weeks to prepare. And it was, okay, um, who's on board to help? I think we're about to get bigger. And what can we do in advance? And so, you know, constantly building and automating things. So back in the day, we used a really fantastic tool called uh, Zapier. And it's like, I'm not a computer programmer, never, never have been, probably never will be. But Zapier is like a, a low code or no code solution to automate things. People out there who 
are struggling with like, how do you build systems? It's an amazing place to start because we don't all have $300,000 to go build a proprietary uh, backend. So I think that's, yeah. So going from manual to systems as early as you can from day one, that is really what saved us because we were, we were ready when the Today Show hit and we went, we got to 5,000 volunteers. We were, we were ready for that. Well, and you bring up a great point, right? Automate early as much as you can to free yourself up to do the next thing. But I think you touch on it, like you're a systems standard operating procedure mindset person. And that is so critical, right? Because everything from, oh, this one-off that is a nut allergy, which no one ever thinks of when you have a lasagna, right? To, you know, oh, I need something gluten-free. Like very, very early on, my impression of lasagna love was they have it on lock. Like they have seen every iteration of lasagna-ness, any request that could come in. You had an answer and it was, it was whether it was an FAQ or a standard operating procedure, uh, very quickly the portal, right? So talk a little bit about this mindset. Like how do you, if you're not built that way, how do you get that way? It's a good question. I would say there's two answers. I think that there are some people there. They just, they love this stuff. If you, if you are one of these people that you really, you love the idea of systems and you love the idea of automation, you just don't necessarily know how to do it, but you know, you think that way. Just take a look at some of the tools, set block time aside every single day to think through what can I systematize? What can I do now to make tomorrow easier. I have a friend who went to business school, my husband, very successful. And he will say, if I can do something now for five minutes that will save me 10 minutes later, I'll do it. If you can do anything now that builds even the smallest system that frees up your time later, I would say, you know, figure out how to do it. But if you just, if your mind doesn't work in those processes, if you're more of sort of like a, you know, creative thinker and have a team, surround yourself with the people that do think that way. My time needs to be spent on other things and I can't be the person necessarily building all the systems. So I've made sure that I have a staff, like my chief of staff is amazing. She thinks this way. She's able to build those systems and run operations. Um, and if I didn't have her, I don't know where we'd be today. So I'd say you can find the person um, who who does think that way and like put them by your side and hold them tight and don't let them go. And that can that can help you scale as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. What about the portal? So originally you were using Google Sheets. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I know lots of businesses who still run that way, right? And then how you made the transition to, we're absolutely going to need something different. And then how did you prioritize? Because the portal um, the portal is a big deal. It's a lot of features. How you prioritized, I don't know if it was like a Hunger Games you guys had to have <laughs> to, to decide what features you picked and, and built first. Well, it certainly felt like the Hunger Games. So the portal for, for people listening is an online volunteer portal that replaced all the stuff that we were doing previously in Google Sheets and Google Maps. And so every volunteer has a login. It shows them who they got matched to each week. They can change their schedule. They can change their preferences. And then on the back end, we have all that data. So we, we take all the volunteer information and then all the recipient families who have requested. Um, and once a week, we have a really fantastic algorithm that was developed by a team of grad students at MIT um, that takes all that and optimizes it so that we don't have to manually and basically pushes out and says, okay, Stacy, here's your two matches for this week. Rhiannon, here's your two matches for this week and reach out to them by text and go make a lasagna. 
so that that's so the portal is, is what runs lasagna love now it, you know at five thousand google sheets we were like okay we can we can handle this but we can't handle much more like this will break at some point and we were lucky that it hadn't already and so we had um the husband of one of our volunteer leaders was amazing he volunteered to build the first version and it was just it was probably about like two months of him and i going through and documenting okay what is everything that we are doing now uh which of those is essential and then we had a wish list of like things that volunteer leaders had asked us for and what's sort of the nice to have. I think we also looked at what are the features that would touch a lot of people, right? If it's a feature that's going to impact 5,000 volunteers, fantastic. We had a volunteer team of developers as well, just going through and coding it and getting feedback from our a group of volunteers who were like willing to beta test and just iterating and iterating until we felt like it was, we were confident that we at least had something to launch. And we, um, I remember we were going to be on Good Morning America and uh, we were able to get V1 out having that portal built, I think really was the next step in systems building, right? So like first we had manual systems, then we automated the manual systems in a really simple way. And then we were able to test that for a really long time with volunteers and know what worked and what didn't. And we were, then we were able to take that and code it into something more permanent. So having that sort of step, we didn't go from manual to like full-fledged, but having that sort of gradual incline towards a, a really solid system was, uh, was really valuable. You also did focus groups. Yeah. I want to touch on that briefly because I do think that's important, right? When you talk about iterative development, one of the things you don't want to lose sight of is uh, your customer. And even though we were making lasagnas for other people, we were actually your consumers of the portal initially uh, as a chef. So talk a little bit about like, did, was that a crazy idea? Did you guys just wake up one day and be like, let's invite every chef we have <laughs> <laughs> to a Zoom meeting? I don't know. It, it, it may be crazy for some people, but for us, it's been part of our DNA from day one. You know, Lasagna Love has a really strong community and all the chefs have been involved, not just in making lasagnas, but in really shaping the organization from day one. And, you know, I think that does come a little bit from the private sector. There's a lot of customer research and get, getting on the phone with customers, and really understanding what they want and what they need, and then reading into what they're saying and trying to translate that into something that you can give them that actually satisfies that need, right? And so, we, so bringing that... From, from my past experience and combining it with just wanting to have this culture where people felt really empowered. You know, one of our core values is empowering. And, you know, we're empowering our recipient families to ask for help when they need it, but we're also empowering our lasagna chefs to really be a part of what we're building and to be a part of the movement. Put out a call and said, hey, you know, we're, we're going to do this portal. If anybody wants to hop on a, a Zoom call and tell us what you need, what you think, if, you, if this portal could do anything for you, what would it be? And then once we had built some things that's okay for this, is it working the way you wanted? And we kept going until we launched the actual portal. And we're starting it again now, right? We, we're talking about building an app and we put a call in the Facebook group. So if we're going to build an app, like this is what it has to do for it to actually move the needle for people. So having that, having the perspective of the people who are actually going to be using the tool, like that you would build a tool and not have that input because then you're building something that maybe no one's going to use. And that's a, a waste of everybody's sort of time and resources. Absolutely. So I, I want to touch briefly on data because you are also clearly a data gal and you have a lot of data. I mean, there's a lot that goes through the portal and you have from the focus groups, you were gathering data and, you know, sort of compiling it and reading through it and picking and choosing, right? It really informs the business of this nonprofit. So talk a little bit about like how much time do you spend on data analytics and whether that's you or a team, like how do you approach it? It's part of our every day. There's not a day that goes by that we don't look at some kind of data. I think when you get to a certain scale, I think a lot of nonprofits do look at data and are data driven and that's how they're successful. But the earlier you can do it, the earlier you can figure out what data is important to look at 
and make a schedule and actually you're looking at it, you know how to collect it, you know how to measure it, you know what it means when it when you get it. That's part of our DNA. We So our team looks at data. We have a scheduled time, like every Monday, our, our sort of core team gets together and we look at KPIs and some of it, some of it's things that make sense you, you think of, right? So if we look at number of meals delivered and number of people fed and how many chefs are we actually using that are available, like that kind of makes sense. It's important for us to measure how we're doing as a team and how we're doing as an organization. We're looking at, we have a, a sign-up form where we're looking at, how did you hear about us? We look at that on a regular basis to say, where are our volunteers coming from? Like we're going to, we're low on volunteers in an area. How do we go get more? And that'll tell us, okay, well, you know, most people are coming from Facebook. So post in these groups or most people are coming from Instagram. So like make some social posts and tag these geographic areas. As an organization, you're very nimble. And that's one of the things that is very interesting if when you've been a volunteer with an organization for a while, that this is not just like a, a set it and forget it type of structure. There truly is a sort of action reaction, right? It's when you talk outreach, your volunteers are empowered to do the outreach themselves. But from my regional leader, I might get, we need extra, there's an extra call for volunteers in a certain area, right? You are constantly sort of adjusting. And that is really amazing. And it's a lot of work. Like if you don't have the structure in place, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And to your point, so we have, we've built systems to have a volunteer who's built two really fantastic dashboards for us in Tableau. So we, every week they're updated, the backend data automatically syncs with the dashboard. So there's very little manually that has to be done. We, it syncs to the database that we know that knows the queries. And so we, all we need to do is look at the dashboard and we know exactly like what's our utilization rate. How many new volunteers do we have sign up? How many of them actually hit confirm, right? How many volunteers stepped away this week? And, and what are the reasons for those, right? So like, why are if for people who are leaving the organization? It's just as important to know why they're going as to know where they came from, right? So probably expected, you know, with where we are in the world, we've had more volunteers leaving for financial reasons where that never used to be something that we saw. And well, how do we combat that? Can we find a sponsor that's willing to subsidize lasagna costs in areas with really high need and volunteers who are leaving because they can't afford it? And that's, you know, that's that nimble aspect. We use the data to make decisions and to about, you know, who we get funding from and what we build next. And uh, we need to be able to look at that data quickly and easily. And we need to have a regular cadence for looking at it. We've made it so easy to, to view it. Um, and it, it's become second nature to our team. I think that, yeah, yeah, I totally agree with what you say. Like it has to be, it has to be easy. That brings me to the, to the next question. You make it sound really easy. Clearly <laughs> there had to be challenges, right? There had, you had to hit a speed bump along the way or two. What do you wish you knew then? Like if you could talk to old Rhiannon from yesterday or the day before last year, what do you wish you knew then? I, oh, good. It's a good question. I want to share sort of with other nonprofit or for-profit leaders is I see challenges as possibilities. So every business is going to face challenges. It's part of the journey. And I think part of why we've been so successful is that we never got wrapped up in the problems. We saw them as opportunities to learn, opportunities to grow, to break the mold, to try something new, to get better at what we do. And so every, I mean, we would get emails from people saying, you can't do what you're doing. And, and okay, cool. So talk to us about why and how do we fix it? You know, okay, we'll put a waiver in place. Okay. And with every challenge, and the whole team felt this way what can we do differently and how can we be stronger as a result and I, I remember reading um right before, actually right before Lavania left started I read a book called The Art of Possibility which I would highly recommend to any leader and one of the things is like he, he just teaches his students throw up your hands in the face of challenge and and I would I would sit in in my office wherever that was and be like this is fascinating and really just force myself first it was forcing myself and then it became habits like I was really excited at every challenge yeah. And I think sort of don't sweat the small stuff right through it. The point of it is, is to get through it together. And I think every little thing that came up, 
it just seemed like, okay, well, we're going to handle it because to not handle it is to give up and we're not going to give up. Yeah. Well, and I, I love what you said. Like, we're all going to do this together. And I think that's probably something else I'd love to go back and tell myself, which is ask for help earlier. And, you know, if I hadn't asked for help, who knows where we would be? Okay. Talk about where you are now as an organization. And then we'll talk about where you're going because, you know, that I'm not going to hold you to that. But really, <laughs> it's. It's remarkable how many meals, like how many volunteers you have today, whereas a lot of nonprofits are feeling the, you know, the exit from the pandemic and they're hurting because of it, because of the fiscal changes for a lot of families and a, a lot of the time sink. Everyone is complaining about volunteers just drying up. I don't think Lasagna Love has that problem. So I'm not going to say that we were completely immune to it. So we didn't see a drop in volunteers after the pandemic. We, we kept growing. We had more volunteers every week than we had leaving. And that trend continued really until the last couple of months when finances have become an issue. I think a lot of nonprofits have faced more of a challenge than we have. And I think we're, we're incredibly uh, lucky and blessed. But in terms of where we are now, in July, we hit our milestone of we fed 1 million people which was massive for us. And we're really focused on like making sure that our, our, our program's running really well, to your point about sort of where we're going next. Uh, you know, we've been growing consistently. We're all over the US. We launched in Australia. We launched in Canada. We have like a, a small group of volunteers in the UK that we're trying to figure out how to get going. But, you know, the last couple of months, we sort of wanted to take a, a pause. And, and I think it's important for organizations to do this where, you know, we've been so focused on growth. And if we sort of were to keep going on that trajectory without making sure that, the systems are working the way they need to, um, we could find ourselves in real trouble. And so I think it was important for us to take a little bit of time to make sure, are, does the data still look good? Are there problems with supply and demand in certain areas? Are there new ways that we can address that? Are our local leaders feeling supported? Or are they starting to burn out? Do we need to add new roles or new positions? Like how do we make sure the organization is strong? And then we can continue to pursue our growth goals. It's an organization. It's a balance between the two. Absolutely. This is an aside. Australia and the UK, still lasagna? Still lasagna, yes. But also about, a, I can remember, maybe a year, year and a half ago, I started to realize that lasagna is, it's like a comfort food for many, but it's not a comfort food for everybody. And there's a little bit of a, a cultural barrier that lasagna creates unintentionally. And we wanted to make sure that we weren't keeping entire communities out of the kindness movement because of what we were delivering. And so we started say, saying to our volunteers, and you may have your own comfort food that you want to share with somebody. And so make whatever feels good to you. And so we've had people make all sorts of amazing things from some will make like an enchilada casserole. We've had people make like traditional Afghan food, traditional Polish food, Ukrainian, really go outside the box and, and make whatever is either uh, meaningful to them or what the people in their community. And you should make whatever feels right in your community. Because again, it's more about the kindness. And I know every listener is going to be super jazzed. I am going to give you the website at the end of this. So you can absolutely request a lasagna if you want one. Uh, the, the premise of lasagna love really is a lasagna ish for anyone who requests, right? It's, it's, they don't validate, we don't validate need. We don't, right. There's no extra hoops. Um, I've had a few people literally say it feels like a scam. Like there must be a gimmick. There's no gimmick. We deliver a home-cooked meal. It's sort of like having a grandma in your back pocket. And a lot of the time we get repeaters. So we, we do allow for that. That actually was built into some of the processes that Rhiannon was talking about. So it's one of those things where if you want to request and then a month later you want to request again, you can. And the lovely thing about it, sometimes you get the same chef. It's not guaranteed, but you can. So, you know, that might be an instance where someone offers up whatever, shepherd's pie or pulled pork or 
the talk on the news group was like, what's a what's a cold version that I could, you know, a cold meal I could prep. And it was funny because someone had said something about a salad and my husband was like, salad? A salad's not a lasagna. <laughs> it's lasagna-ish. Co- close enough. I'm still looking for the perfect lasagna pasta salad recipe. So if any of your listeners are really good chefs, like I, I, I scour the blogs like every couple of months. That could be your journey, right? That yeah. could be the next the next iteration of the uh, Lasagna Love Cookbook. All right, Rhiannon, I can't say thank you enough for everything you've done. Uh, it really is a movement. You you took a moment and you made it a movement. And I look forward to the next iteration of whatever's coming because it's going to be tremendous. I know it. And I do look forward to the tech because you embrace it. So what's like the last thing you want to leave a listener with? What do you? What's your nugget of wisdom to take from this? For anybody out there who any part of this resonated or if some part of this felt really uncomfortable, but you feel like you need to do it, I would say open your mind to the possibility and just take the risk because the reward, I guarantee you, the reward on the other side is going to be more than you ever imagined. Like take risks, try new things because they lead you to really unexpected, but really phenomenal places. Awesome. Okay. Lasagnalove.org. Just like it sounds, check out the website. There's merch. There's the request portal. You can volunteer right from there. They have a tremendous Facebook community. They share recipes, experiences. Uh, Rhiannon, what else? Where, where else should we find out about you? You can follow us. If you're a social media kind of person, you can follow us on Instagram at We Are Lasagna Love. Same on Facebook at We Are Lasagna Love. If you want to fill your feed with really positive, uplifting stories and delicious food, so it's a great, great way to make your day just a little bit kinder. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Thank you, everyone who's listening. And please be sure to subscribe or leave a review. And if you have a suggestion or would like to be a guest, please contact us at podcast at tgrmanagementconsulting.com. For my producer, Sam Beck, and for me, Stacey Lund, we'll see you next time. Thanks. My name is Tiffany Rossick, CEO of TGR Management Consulting. Volunteerism is a core value of ours at TGR. In fact, it's something each and every one of our team members have demonstrated prior to being hired. Because we all believe all humans want to be part of something bigger than themselves, and together we are better. <laughs>